0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. In the few moments that we have left, if you have a Bible on you this morning, just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We at our church have been in a series through 2 Corinthians now for over a year and a half. And it's amazing to me that we find ourselves here... this morning Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 13 verse 4 for though he was crucified through weakness yet he liveth by the power of God this theme of weakness is one of Paul's favorite themes he speaks of it often and in the book of 2nd Corinthians especially chapters 10 11 and 12 he sort of hones in on this idea of weakness and the truth is, this thought has been going through my mind now for weeks, for weeks. We just had our Good Friday service on Friday, of course, and, and uh, the theme of the crucifixion and weakness, again, powerfully displayed. I've been thinking about weakness and how we view weakness. And oftentimes we see or perceive weakness in a way that's not accurate. We have, my wife and I, we raised three boys Boys are a funny creature, right? And uh, it's been a blessing to do it, and, and they're, they're a joy. And boys are funny because there's something within them at a very early age that they long to show you their strength, right? And even as they grow up, you find them periodically walking past the mirror, <clears throat> you know. And, and that's just the way they are. Our oldest, when he was about two years old, we'd say, AJ, be strong, and he would do this. He'd clench his fist, and he would shake. He'd just shake. And and there weren't muscles that were coming out, just veins out of his head. And I really did think the kid was going to stroke out because he's strong. Every one of those kids wanted to wrestle with their dad. Every one of them. And they do it their whole life, actually. Their whole lives. But when they were about three or four years old, they would all wrestle with me, and it was funny to, to experience this because with all of their strength and all of their resources and all of their might, they would get on top of me, they'd sprawl out of my chest, they would take their hands and hold my hands down. And in their hearts and minds, they believed, they truly believed that they had mastered me. They truly believed that I was pinned. They truly believed that they were strong and I was weak. And I had to laugh. and, And the more I laughed, the more mad they became. Until finally, when I thought the contest was over, I just stood up and crushed them. And it's not that way anymore, unfortunately. Sometimes we think of weakness and we perceive it to be one way. But it's not. And this phrase that Paul uses is very interesting. It's, he was crucified in weakness. And just that statement, just that word, crucified, naturally equates with weakness. The cross within itself is not a beautiful thing. We were reminded on Friday that the Romans used it as a public spectacle, an ugly form of brutality. And the fact of the matter is, if you were writing a story, if you were talking about a hero, you would never, ever... Put your hero in a position as a criminal to be crucified in such a horrific fashion. And yet, Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ was crucified in weakness. This is the heart of our faith. A man crucified, stripped naked, exposed to ridicule, outside of the gates to be mocked, spit upon, publicly humiliated This is our guide. And at first glance, this idea seems so counterintuitive. How in the world can you worship and rejoice and be glad in the fact that Christ was crucified in weakness? In the next few moments, I want to take the first part of this verse and talk about why it's advantageous for us that Jesus was crucified in weakness. And then we'll end with the second part of the verse, he was raised in power. The first thought I'd like you to think about this morning being crucified in weakness is this. When Christ was crucified in weakness, he solidified his message. The knock against the church forever has been, the church is full of hypocrites. Have you heard that before? Yes. Have you said it before? Probably, right? And we understand that. We know that to be what's being said But can I submit to you this morning that hypocrisy is not just a church problem. Hypocrisy is a people problem. Certainly, you and I know people outside of these walls who are hypocrites. Do we not? I mean, in the shop, on the floor, in the office, at the plant, I'm sure there's at least one hypocrite there. In our neighborhoods, in the places where we live, um, in our committees and things that we're a part of, on the sports teams and the other crazy hockey parents, right? There are hypocrites all around. And if we're honest this morning, we, in our own family, we have hypocrisy. How many times do we say things like, do as I say and not as I do? Or if we don't say it, that's how we act. And we change our standards for ourselves. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he preaches a message which, by all accounts, even the secular world, is one of the greatest messages ever proclaimed. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you just to hear what he says, and I want you to see that even in Christ, this crucified in weakness solidifies his message. He actually practices what he preaches. Matthew chapter 5, we find the sermon part of it there, starting at verse number 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is what Christ preached. Now, look what Matthew 26, 67 says. This is what Matthew says about the crucifixion. They did spit in his face. They buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. That was the Sanhedrin. Later on, the Romans would do the same. And here is Christ who preaches, turn the other cheek. And he turned them both. And they were bruised by the fist of the Jews and the Romans. He practiced what he preached. He goes on in Matthew 5, after talking about the cheek and turning it. He says in verse 40, And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, give him thy cloak also. Someone takes your coat, your, your tunic, give him your coat also. Look now what Mark tells us in chapter 15, verse 24. They crucified him, and they part his garments. And as he hangs from the cross, here is Jesus, Watching as they're gambling for his clothes, and he says nothing. He practiced. he practices what he preaches. The message in Matthew five goes on. He says in verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Go a little further, go an extra mile. Look at Matthew twenty-six, thirty-nine. Records. After praying in agony, Gethsemane, he went a little further. He falls on his face. Then what happens? He's betrayed and he goes a little further to the Sanhedrin. What happens next? He's beaten, mocked, ridiculed. He goes a little further then to Pilate's judgment seat. What happens next? He goes a little further to Mount Calvary. He practices what he preaches. And then finally, The zenith of his message in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. These are his words. This is his message. This is what he tells his followers. Then hanging from a cross. Almost indistinguishable as a man. Luke 23, 34, he says this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to know something this morning. The world's full of hypocrites. And we ourselves are hypocritical. But Jesus Christ in no way was a hypocrite. He practiced what he preached. And on the cross, crucified in weakness... He solidified his message. Not only that, on the cross, crucified weakness, we see that Jesus Christ suffers alongside of us. He suffers with his people. This is an amazing thing, and we should really take note of this, that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is not ashamed to be identified with the weakness of humanity. Ever. Ever. If you're familiar with the New Testament, it talks much about lepers, that disease, it was, a, it was a death sentence. It was so bad and so contagious that the religious crowd, the Pharisees, if they saw a leper coming on the street, they would pick up rocks and throw them at the leper and tell him to cross the street. No part of it. Nowhere near it. And yet in Mark chapter 1, about verse 40, a leper comes to Christ He says, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't pick up a stone. Jesus doesn't scream, get across the street. Jesus doesn't say unclean. Jesus says, I will. And he touches him. He touches him. In his disease and in his filth and his uncleanness. He touches him. And how often we see our Lord and Savior identifying with the sinfulness and the depravity and the weakness of humanity. The outcast, the marginalized, the prostitute, the, the, the publican. He's known as the friend of publicans, not republicans, publicans, tax collectors, the worst of the worst, and sinners. That's our Savior he identifies with humanity. But not only that, in the crucifixion, he takes our burdens upon himself and delivers us from our own despair. I'm sure this morning we all know people who who they've sort of lived this this, this fairy tale life that they've never struggled through anything. I, I mean I I have friends in my life who, as I look at their lives, their life. They've never had a problem. Honestly, the worst thing that's ever happened to them is that they had to wait for their coffee a little longer at Tim Hortons, or they burned the top of their roof of their mouth on on hot cheese from a pizza, and that is devastating to them. It's terrible. And that's the extent of their suffering. Can I tell you something? Um, I can't relate to people like that. No one can. They're unrelatable, especially if you've suffered. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ, crucified in weakness, is not distant from our pain. He is not above our grief. He understands. Because Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, suffered himself. And the truth is... He can relate. Why? Because He knows. And He doesn't know just as God knows. He knows experimentally. Why? Because He walked among us. He walked on our side. He breathed our air. He suffered tremendously. Listen, this morning, if you wonder if Jesus cares or knows, He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He knows what it's like to be laughed at. He knows what it's like to be spit upon and abused and neglected and left. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows it all. And my dear brother and sister in Christ, listen to me. Crucified in weakness reminds us that our God isn't aloof today. He knows where you're at. He knows your suffering. And this God is touched with the feeling of my infirmity, as I shed a tear, as my heart breaks, as I think nobody knows or understands, my God does. And he walks with us. His crucified weakness suffers alongside us. And then the third point in this area is the substitutionary sacrifice. Crucified in weakness. Now, let me just give you a warning right off the bat, okay? Because what I'm about to talk to you about next is the most offensive points in all of Christianity. So, heads up, if you're going to get mad, it's now. Okay? And I just warned you. Someone's already crying already back there. Crucified in weakness. Substitutionary sacrifice. Let's be honest this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ is offensive to everyone. To everyone. Because this substitutionary sacrifice, the cross of Christ, crucifixion, means that we need help. And, and most of us are okay with religion. Uh, you know, they want to be religious. That's great. They're nice people. They're following the golden rule. We're okay with morality. That's great. We should do the best that we can. But what the cross says is this, that the downcast, the derelict, the drug addict this morning, they need Christ. They need a substitute. They need a Savior. But the cross doesn't stop there. You know what it goes on to say? That not only the derelict and the drug addict and, and the downcast needs a Savior, but the dignitary, the distinct one, the self-righteous, the religious one, At the cross of Calvary, it tells us we all need a substitutionary sacrifice. You need it, and I need it. Deep down inside, we know something is wrong. We see it in the brokenness of this world. We see it in the toil of our labor. We see it in the brokenness of marriages. We see it all around us. And I submit to you this morning that we know something's wrong by the rebellion of our own hearts. We're all okay with, yeah, the evil out there. The terrorist, the dictator, the pornographer, all out there. My friend this morning, humanity is complicit. It's not just the sin out there. The heart of the problem is a problem with the human heart. And in this heart, and in your heart, there is evil, there is wickedness, there is greed, there is lust, there is gossip, there is envy, there is bitterness, there is hatred. That's in you, and that's in me. We are rebels by nature, we are rebels by choice this morning. And because of our rebellion against a holy, righteous, just God, We'll sever our relationship with him. Listen to me. God has not moved at all. We've moved. He offers fellowship. We turn from it. He offers healing in our life, in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirit. And we want to heal ourselves and complicate the disease. He offers living water, and we pollute the well. He offers eternal life. And we run at breakneck speed for hell, death, and destruction. Because we know, and I'm telling you something this morning, the rebellion of our heart has severed our relationship with God, and it will serve or be served with justice. This is really the offensive part. Here we go. Ah, the old wrath of God. The judgment of God, hell, fire, and brimstone, is this where we're going? And the answer is yes. This is where we're going. And before you check out this morning, listen to me. I want you to think, you're smart people. When it comes to the judgment of God, what would we think about an individual who witnessed and viewed real evil and shrugged their shoulders? If we took a man or a woman to the gates of Auschwitz at the close of World War II, and we opened the gates, and they walked in and saw the pile after pile of bodies there. They saw men and women so emaciated that they looked like skeletons. They saw the walls of the gas chambers with claw marks on them, people trying to escape. You can see it in the Hel- Holocaust Museum today. And they witnessed all of that, and they said, Psh- Oh well, Is that, would that be OK with you? No, you know what? If that was their attitude, if they said, "Oh well, so what? Who cares? Not my problem." We would be mortified. And do you know why we'd be mortified? Because in the heart of every human being, we long for justice. We know. Things are wrong, and they have to be made right, and we long for justice. We know that somehow, way, this has got to be dealt with, and we all want justice. And should it be any different from the God of heaven, who is perfect, holy, and just, to look at sin, all sin? Listen, because he is loving, he has to deal with sin. Why? Because sin destroys everything it touches. And you can laugh at that. I've been in ministry long enough to see it. Everything sin touches, it wreaks havoc and destroys. It kills. It kills happiness. It kills marriages. It kills relationships. It kills peace. It kills joy. And eventually it will kill your soul. So loving God says, listen, I have to deal with this. I have to deal with this. Because he's loving. He must and he will. And... Because he's just, he must deal with all sin. All of it. Not just the real bad guy out there, or the woman that everyone hates, but all sin, yours and mine. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see God demonstrating his perfect justice. In his holiness, he pours his wrath against all sin on the head of the Son. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, it wouldn't make sense if it was any other way. Just as an example, conquer and victory, it doesn't make sense. His wrath, his justice was poured out, and yet we see his mercy in that on the cross of Calvary, God himself absorbs all of the wrath. He drank The cup dry. And listen to me. This is amazing. That the God from whom we need saving, all of us, the God from whom we need saving is the very God who saves us. The very God who saves us. The cross in itself is not beautiful, but the atonement is because it reveals the heart of God. It's real substitutionary sacrifice. And listen to me. All true love is substitutionary sacrifice. Parents, mothers, you know this. You give birth because it feels great, right? That's what men think. No problem. Can, I could do that. No. It's terrible. Not what I'm told. I wouldn't do it. Sacrificial sacrifice. Why? It's true love. It, 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 in every relationship we know of, our children... Our spouses, our friends, the church. And this morning I want you to know something. He was crucified in weakness, means this that Jesus Christ really did die for you. And what he said was, My life for yours. My life for yours. He was crucified in weakness. The verse doesn't end, though, there. 2 Corinthians 13, 4 says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. This is where we say, Amen. Very good. Let's try this again. He lives by the power of God. Amen. Uh, On the cross, Jesus, weak, shameful, seemingly defeated. Listen to what John Stott says about this. He says, What looks like... And indeed was, the defeat of goodness by evil is also, and more certainly, the defeat of evil by goodness. Overcome there, he was himself overcoming. Crushed by the ruthless power of Rome, he was himself crushing the serpent's head. The victim was the victor. The cross is still the throne from which he rules. This is our Savior. He was crucified in weakness, and yet He lives. Listen to me this morning. Death and the grave, like small, little children, held Him down. And like a father, laughing within, because knowing at any moment the contest is over, and as death, hell, and the grave Rage. Use all of their strength, all of their resources, everything they can muster to hold Jesus Christ in the ground when it was time to get up. Three days later, he stood up and the contest was over. Completely over. The tomb this morning is empty. There's nothing there. There's no reason to go there. There's no reason to make a pilgrimage. Nice to see, but you will find nothing. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And the place that was meant to be a place of mourning is now a place of celebration. Why? Because here's what it proclaimed. There is no power in heaven or earth that can stop our Savior. He's alive. He's alive and well. Christ is risen. This is our message. This is what we proclaim. This is the heart of everything. He was crucified in weakness, and yet he lives by the power of God. He's alive and well today. He is on the loose. The grave is empty. And this is what we glory in this morning. Believer, this is our glory. Christ is risen from the dead, he is risen victorious. And my friend this morning, if you're here and you don't know him, listen to me. You must stop excusing yourself. All of mankind is guilty before him. And there are men and women who believe that your righteousness, your religion, your goodness somehow is going to be okay for you. And it will not. It will not. You will perish in that belief. You say, I'm sincere you will be sincerely wrong because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this morning, to reject Christ, so I would never do that. No, if you don't receive Him, you reject Him. You're saying, I don't need Him. And once again, you are trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. Come to Jesus today. May this be the day. I was watching the video. And, and I, I saw that the other day about Roger and Roxanne. Was that seven, eight, how many years ago, Roger? Eight years ago. Roger had been coming to church, and, and um, I, I just thought, this is going to be great. Easter morning's coming, and on Easter morning we'll have a service, and Roger will come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And he ruined it for me. He got saved on Saturday. I was so mad. Ruin this. Roger sat for a long time in this church a lot of questions. It came to a point of decision. And my friend this morning, you must come to a point of decision. You can be mad. I don't care. You can be mad at me. It's all right. Get in line. I got a bunch of them back here. You can be mad at me. That's fine. But ultimately, you have to answer, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? In closing, this is what Paul says in Second Corinthians 13, 4. He continues there, and he talks about the fact That for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. Now watch this. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. This is amazing. Now for those of us this morning who come to celebrate the risen Christ, he reminds us that we're weak. The truth is, my friend, all of us, we're all broken. We're all broken. I don't care who you are. And in Christianity, we come in our brokenness, we accept Christ, but we're still weak. And God does an amazing thing. Because it's this weakness that we think is no big deal that God takes and exalts. It's in our weakness and our inability and not being able to that God uses that as a platform to display his glory and his grace. And he says, now we live by him. Yeah, we're weak. But here's the truth of the matter. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives inside of the believer now, and because of that, in my weakness, I can be everything that He's called me to be. Listen to me: the Christian life is not oh, you know, Sunday morning got these rules. The Christian life is life, and life more abundant. It is joy. It is peace. It is it is that. That longing has been fulfilled in a Savior. And now we have life and life abundant. But not only that, because of a risen Christ. Listen, for me, this morning, I've been up pacing for I don't know how long. Like a caged animal. I have my Fitbit on. And I have to keep 5,000 steps this morning already. Most of them were in this church. Why? Because this is the highlight of the Christian message. This is the day. This is the big thing. But listen to me. For the believer, can I tell you something? It's not just a risen Christ on Easter Sunday. It's a risen Christ on Easter Monday. It's a risen Christ on Easter Tuesday. It's a risen Christ on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within us. And now, I don't have to be what I used to be. I can be the man that God's called me to be. We can be the people. The husband, the father, the mom, the daughter, the the brother, the friend, the church member, the boss, the employee, because of the risen Christ. He was crucified in weakness. He lives by the power of God. And that's what we celebrate this morning. And our prayer is this. For the believer, we will glory in it. And not just think about it today, but every day. And... For the person here this morning that you've been trusting in anything else, I don't care if you're Baptist, I don't care if you're Catholic, I don't care if you're an atheist this morning. You must come to Christ. Whether it's today in the quietness of your own home to call upon his name, or you want to talk to somebody here, come to Jesus. He died. He was buried. But three days later he got up, and he will come again to rule and reign and crush his enemies. And the only person who will be safe is the individual that's been washed in the blood of Christ. And that's our prayer for you today. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for being here. Thank you for staying. Thank you for listening. I hope you understand what's been said today. has been said honestly from a heart of love and compassion and from the truth of the word of God and a risen Savior. I know we've got lots of guests and friends. I don't know your spiritual condition. I really don't. But I do know this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not about church. It's not. It's about a personal relationship with him, about repenting and believing. And this morning, let me encourage you. If you don't know, let this be the day that you repent and call upon his name. You trust in him and him alone. And if you do that, let let us know. I would love to know that today. If you want to talk to somebody, stay here and talk to somebody. Please, don't leave here and just forget about what's been said. And then for the believer this morning, listen to me. Dearly beloved, we have a risen Savior, and his spirit lives within us. So enough of this, I can't, I don't know, I that. No, no, no. We can live in obedience. We can follow his steps. We can be everything he's called us to be listening morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for what we've heard today. And I pray, Father, that as we close this service, we would not soon forget Help us to glory in a resurrected Savior. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.